Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. When you get into bed at night and someone who you can't see gets into bed with you, what's going on? Could UFOs be living creatures? And how does Ben keep from being afraid when he's coming up against parasites in our cases? Hello, and welcome to Behind the Paranormal. And this is our 345th broadcast with Paul and Ben Eno. And those unusual questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So we don't have a guest tonight. We have a wonderful open line show, which some people seem to uh, think that is way better than having a guest. (laughs) But So we're going to start with uh, our paranormal contest. Weekly paranormal contest, that is. Well, maybe we should say who the, it was supposed to be. Gary, Gary Osborne from England, uh, well-known uh, philosopher, prolific author, and his past guest on the show has been very popular, uh, talking about the nature of consciousness and, uh, in this particular case, the binary nature of things, including the things in the paranormal, that indicate that life is something like a computer simulation. Binary codes. However, he is under the weather tonight and had to bow out. We're going to reschedule him at a future date. I'm sorry, Ben. Go right ahead. All right. So last week's uh, question was, what is another name for the abominable snowman? Well, I suggested the adorable snowman, but Ben wouldn't give me the prize, which went to Liz Kula of North Smithfield, Rhode Island, who called in during the show with the correct answer, the Yeti. All right. So this week's question is, what is the newest major airport in the world uh, or what is the newest major airport in the world to be considered haunted? Well, that's a really weirdly worded question, but hopefully you you people out there understand it. It's right, a, well, again, well it's, it's not it's not any sort of thing against you. Maybe I'm just reading it incorrectly or well, no, reading into it really too correctly. much. All right, well, uh, so if you uh, nail that one, win a copy of The Giza Prophecy by uh, what was supposed to be tonight's guest. <laughs> right. So, uh, well, you we can remember him through his books anyway, but he'll, he'll be with us again uh, before too long. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our emails. We always have a stack of emails on all sorts of questions from people not only in our listening areas, but also people who hear us on the Internet and people who hear us uh, through our podcasts and uh, this sort of thing. So uh, let's just uh, dive right in here. The topics are many and varied. Uh, this is from Connie... Uh, L and I, she's written to us before. I believe she's from Florida. She has not uh, specified on this particular document. Well, maybe we don't need to know that. Well, perhaps we don't need to know. Hi, I hope all's well. I hear hear you on the radio sometimes, and I can see that you're both very busy. I have a question for you. A friend just told me that she's having some problems during the night, and she's very anxious about it. Uh, She wakes up feeling that someone is uh, touching her and hugging her and squeezing her from behind. Uh, this has happened several times. Uh, have you ever come across anything similar to this? If uh, if this continues, is there something that she can do about it? Uh, thank you for your time. Please give my best to Ben. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> do that or so. Okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah, people don't know whether right to all of us or both of us. Well, in any case, uh, yes, I have, uh, Connie, heard of this sort of thing on a number of occasions. The most extreme case certainly was one we have talked about on the show, and that was one in which uh, I think we were doing a show on extreme paranormal, something we do several times a year. And uh, it was a particular man whom I knew in East Hartford, Connecticut, the town where I grew up. And he, one one day, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but one day he came home from work, uh, he was a single gentleman, bachelor, and worked in uh, Hartford in the insurance industry, which everybody did when I was growing up. They either worked for the New Haven Railroad or the insurance industry. Came home, his door opened by itself, he walked in, uh, he noticed that the dishes from the morning, he never had time to do his morning breakfast dishes, were done and all put away, and he uh, felt somebody was there, but he couldn't really tell who you know who was or see anything or hear anything and uh, he shut the door and went about his normal evening which was rather solitary and he um nothing else happened until he went to bed and when he went to bed he felt someone get into the bed with him uh, which was you know a larger larger bed for one person at the time and, and, and nothing else happened and he just felt that someone was there and he, he could actually 
he didn't he was terrified naturally and he didn't turn over to look but uh, apparently there was this invisible presence and this went on for exactly 1 year and of course this this man I knew uh, got used to it I was a kid at the time so I didn't witness any of this but he uh, was a reliable fellow he belonged to our uh, our church and and uh, I you know we, we was a very good friend of my parents but he didn't um, you know he got used to it and exactly 1 year to the day that this began he walked up to his door the door didn't open so I said, what's going on here? And because he, he especially had gotten used to someone else doing his dishes. And this was certainly, in 42 years of researching the paranormal, this is one of the weirdest uh, stories that I had ever heard. And, of course, it was from someone I actually knew. So th- that was an extreme example of this. But one does hear of invisible companions. Children have them all the time, seemingly, some children. I have encountered these in cases where parents have asked me to investigate their children's, quote, invisible friends, unquote, and I have been surprised on a number of occasions to actually encounter an entity that does appear, or sometimes is not, is not what it appears to be, but sometimes is. I'm thinking of the case in Florida in 04, where I encountered a young, uh, well, well it was, the woman was an employee of the hotel where I was speaking and had pulled me aside and asked me, gee, do you th- would you have time to talk to my son? And sure enough, the, the child had an invisible friend. And the invisible friend was, uh, I managed to communicate with it, and it was saying that it was um, a, a child who was, bo- it was born exactly 100 years, or at least exactly 100 years later. Then we were speaking. So the, the child apparently was, was born in, I think it was a, the, uh, 2098 or something like that. Um, was, oh no, I'm sorry, uh, earlier than that because it was about 10, the child was about 10 years old in 2004, minus 100 years. So whatever. But it was talking about a, an invisible, what, the, 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 the United States as we know it either had never existed in this world or in this parallel world or, or, didn't exist in, in its in anything like its current form. Florida was part of a from from what he said some somewhat benign empire of some kind that existed on the east coast of North America. And whatever, don't ask me what this is about, but that, that's what what came across. So uh, one does encounter parallel what apparently, according to our multiverse theories, are parallel world people and sometimes non people. So they're one thing that your friend could be experiencing here, uh, certainly, is, is uh, Connie, is that there may be worlds in which that are rather somehow closely attached to her consciousness, in which she is married, or I don't know if she's married now, or or, or has a, a person like this who is living with her or something like this, and the uh, the presence does not fully come through except in the forms of these uh, these tactile phenomena. On the other hand, your friend could have serious problems and might need to see a doctor. I mean, the, the, what you describe could be a symptom, unless you know, of of schizophrenia or uh, something of some sort of psychosis. So it does bear some sort of investigation. One thing that Ben and I always ask, you know, Ben wants to add to this maybe, uh, is that we, you know, who else is seeing this or who else is feeling this or hearing this? Uh, because if you have a number of people uh, to whom this same uh, phenomena are occurring, then you're less likely to be nuts, all right, so to speak. Uh, ben, do you have anything to add to this? What are your thoughts on this sort of thing? Well, that's so nice of you to ask me that. Well, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just. Having a having a bit of fun with you, of so course. To speak. Yes. No, um, Your poor old man. Yes, I know. But um, I was gonna point out that she said the word anxiety in there to describe her friend, which I thought was sort of a red flag, if you will, hmm. that this could be something else. I mean, but you did you did cite that other guy um, a long time ago, back in the '60s, where he. Uh, had like this entity open the door for him, do his dishes for him, lay in bed at night with him. That that that's it. That he felt anx- anxious, scared, freaked out. I, mean, I, I, yeah. I would be too. Yeah. If someone was like hugging me in my sleep and there was no <laughs> one, I I would be kind of uh, I would be kind of weirded out by that. Yeah. I I don't know anyone that wouldn't be. But 
the thing is, is is there more to this? That's always the question. Is, yeah, is there is there more to it? Is are there more examples of this? Is this all that happens? Is, yeah. is there other stuff? Are there other things going on? Does she have family? Was there a history of an invisible friend when she was a child? Yeah, the, it, there are a lot of things yeah. that need to be asked. I mean, granted, it's like only like a paragraph long, and I don't want to like read into it more than I already am mm-hmm. because right now I'm like drawing conclusions like, oh, it means this, it means that, and it's like, well, we don't really know. No, we because don't. we don't have enough information. It's like, so it's like doing a physics problem. Like you have your formula, and they only give you one part of it, and it's like, well, find out P and A, and then you'll find D, and it's like, wait, what? How can you do that if only one thing's given? Mm-hmm. So in order to finish this formula. We need other thi- we need other bits of information in order to complete it. Quite true. Uh, so the message there, Connie, is let us know anything else you can about this, or better yet, have the woman contact us herself, and we can perhaps uh, get a little closer to, to finding out uh, an explanation. But we, I think we did answer her question, Ben, that she asked if we'd encountered this before, and uh, at least uh, I have anyway. Okay, let's move on to UFOs. This is from L. Rodriguez in Austin, Texas. Okay, so um, L. Rodriguez writes, I have been completely uh, fascinated by your discussion of UFOs as living things, by the way. He says no use of full name. Uh, I remember... I didn't. I just used L. You said his last name. And the full name is the first name and last name. I used the first first initial. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Uh, I remember some of uh, the Roswell crash researchers saying that the material from the craft felt more like skin than anything metallic. Uh, can you hmm. guys talk a little more about this? That's an interesting question. I really don't know that much about it, so you talk well, about it. Well, no, we 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 talked. Uh, who do we have the the show? Anyway, we were doing a show a few weeks ago that that and and this came up. The nature of UFOs, interestingly, and this comes from, it must be two years ago, wasn't it, with uh, uh, Ted Phillips uh, from Missouri. Ted Phillips is a UFO researcher who has documented several thousands, I should say, three to four thousand examples of UFO landings. Yeah, we we didn't have them on too long ago. It wasn't like two years ago. Was it? Well, anyway, he's documented a lot of landings that have left physical traces. And he noted, very interestingly, that the metallic disc form of UFO that people report seeing has begun to change to a, a more of an orb-type manifestation. Now, orbs are just these balls of light. And the question arises, are they St. Almost Fire? Are they ball lightning? Are they, uh, and I've speculated a number of times that they may be living creatures because I've seen them with the naked eye and we've run into them in cases very frequently. And uh, the quote-unquote ghost hunters always point to these things as being, aha, you know, spirit orbs, you know, jumping to the conclusions they always jump to. But what what they are, we really don't know. So the UFO sightings have become more like that. that, More people are seeing orb-like Objects in the sky or even on the on the ground in smaller form than they are seeing these metallic structures that were reported very frequently in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, etc. So as far as speculating about living creatures, I mean that that is one possibility. We always assume these are what Ben, you know, craft from other planets, right? Well, yeah. Well, we haven't been told anything else, you know. Well, no. I mean, but again, you know, we always assume things are what they appear to be, and nothing in the paranormal is what it appears to be. Exactly. So you, you consider other options. Could these be living things? And it, it is. It is true, according to my information, that people who who have handled the research uh, aspects of the material found at the Roswell crash, if indeed that was a UFO crash, have said that the material was was more felt more like skin than it did. Any kind of metal covering for a craft. Yes. And yet, at, the, at that in that same case, supposedly alien bodies were found, and that the thing had a crew. So that's you know we, we really don't know. Uh, that information has not been forthcoming. And in other crashes, supposed crashes, and other areas where UFO material supposedly has been found, uh, that that was uh, was uh, one of the questions that uh, this stuff just didn't feel feel metallic. Oh, I remember, and we were talking about the the um, the donut thing. The, the donut thing, the, donuts, the yeah. Maury Island case in Washington, yes, where the things were acting like living creatures. I mean, they were donut-shaped 
things in the atmosphere and the one of them seemed to be ill and the other seemed to help it and, and, and a lot, bunch of slag came out of one as if it were regurgitating or throwing up to be more graphic. I mean, who knows? I mean, any of these things is possible. And as we always say in multiverse theory, anything that can be conceived must exist somewhere or somewhere in all these infinite numbers of parallel worlds. Actually, I do believe we talked about this on an open line show. My, my bad. Might have done, yeah. Yeah, because okay. I, I recall that. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what else there really is to say about that, L. Uh, <laughs> don't get in trouble with Ben again. Hey. Uh, I think that that's a big possibility that needs further research, that these could be, or at least some of them could be living creatures. I do remember, and this did, did come up in the other show, that some astrobiologists or what used to be called exobiologists people who study the possibilities of alien life um, have considered the possibility of creatures that live in the atmosphere especially on gas planets such as Jupiter or Saturn not saying there's life there but in on planets that might be hospitable towards some sort of life and of course we always say well what do you mean why does life have to be like ours your life as we know it and uh, it seems that taking a cue from Sir Fred Hoyle, the great astronomer, who believed that life was the the rule in the universe, not the exception. There could be life everywhere, everyone. We see it among worlds, between worlds, amidst all sorts of, of bizarre circumstances. Well, it's just, well it, quite frankly, it's just stupid to think we're the only intelligent life out there. Oh, of course. Well, you know, one of, one of the things that really shook people up and that astrobiologists paid a lot of note to was a number of years ago when volcanic vents were discovered... On, in the floor of the Earth's oceans, uh, creating an entire, uh, f- I guess, fauna and flora, uh, biosphere, or part of the biosphere, that simply did not depend on the sun for its, its existence. All biology on Earth was assumed, here's the word again, assumed, to be dependent on the sun. And these things were dependent on um, essentially... Um, elements coming up out of the ground that were volcanic and uh, sulfur dioxide, things that we would be poisoned by, and they thrived upon it, a totally unknown species on our own planet. So who knows how many other kinds of life there could be elsewhere or elsewhere, uh, dependent on things that would uh, we wouldn't even conceive, elements we wouldn't even know about yet, perhaps. So anyway, among these could be things that are interpreted as um, UFOs. Uh, what are they doing here? How could they get here? Well, that's always been a big debate. But if you believe in the multiverse theory, they could come and go between worlds. We, we, we know for a fact we deal with creatures uh, who are in folklore known as demons, uh, among other things, who come and go and seem to feed uh, as in any form of, you know, as certainly as part of nature, upon, in some cases, our own energy. And uh, that's one example of what could be, I suppose, in a broad definition, alien life. So there we are. Okay, here's a question on ghosts from, let's just say, Missy in North Providence, Rhode Island. Ah, thank you. All right, so Missy writes to us, I want to ask Ben how he keeps from being afraid on cases, especially when it's parasites. I love the show and can't all I can't always catch it live, so thanks for the free podcast. And, of course, we do have free podcasts on our site. We have over uh, 400 shows. Almost. Wow, almost, you're coming almost, up on 400 now. Almost, yeah. almost, almost 400 shows. Yeah. How do I keep from being afraid? Well, it's not really that hard, actually. I mean, it's it's like there are a lot of things that sound hard but really aren't that hard. It's one of those things where you're around it so much that it just doesn't even bother you anymore. It's like being grandfathered into the uh, paranormal world, you might say. I mean, I grew up around my dad um, always being like, you have the power to stop parasites, like some sort of strange commercial. <laughs> but it was... It, it, it's it's more than that, though. It's you. They're just living creatures like the rest of us, correct? Would you say that? Yeah, I think so. And I, as I always said, once you understand it, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Exactly. Unless it has nasty, mean, pointy teeth. Well, yeah, but then the point being is it's knowing that knowing what you're afraid of makes it unknown anymore, and humans are very afraid of the unknown. Mm. So knowing the unknown makes it not scary anymore. 
as we always say, it's 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 not one of our kind of our unofficial mottos is it's not explaining the paranormal that's the problem, it's handling the, the explanations. explanations. Yeah. So but again, once you understand and people people have come up to us after lectures or, or, or sometimes write in and say, you know, it's true. I don't have to I'm not afraid of it anymore, what's happening here because now I understand what it is. It's a time thing, it's just the way the energies are, the world is this is just the way it is. And um, people find that they either can ignore it or they find it interesting, and uh, unless it's a dangerous situation, which it can be, but at least you know they understand it; they don't have to be afraid of it. So exactly, I guess that's the answer to the question. And there we go. Yeah. Uh, next one, we, we actually we have about like oh about four minutes till our break. So. Okay. All right. All right. Let's see. This is uh, I guess they're asking for our opinion. This is from Charles K. in Seattle. I guess the great, uh, here's us on the great KJAQ out there. And here you go. Okay, so Charles writes, Love your show, Paul and Ben. It really makes me think. Uh, on your show last night with Terrence Aim, you left a knot untied and it's driving me crazy. You said that uh, time travel as shamans do it as opposed to the time travel with a machine can bring back physical evidence, but you never had time to talk about that with the guest. What's the evidence? Oh, yeah, you kept oh. trying to cut him off, and then I was like, let the man talk. I want to hear what he has to say. Oh, yeah, well, the problem is, you know, these shows aren't long enough. All right, well, well. anyway, this was Ter- – Terrence Aim wrote a book called uh, Mysteries of the Multiverse, and he – I think he has a slightly different interpretation than we have – of the multiverse. There are many different interpretations in physics. I think most physicists at this point have kind of thrown up their arms and, you know, accepted the multiverse idea, but the, but which interpretation of it? Uh, our particular experience, our experience, because my background is in theology and philosophy, and I have not had, and journalism, and I have not uh, uh, sat uh, in too many physics classrooms. So our experience of it is that these are fully-fledged worlds in concrete physical reality that actually exists side by side. Others interpret the multiverse as being uh, our world that we see, maybe a few others, and a bunch of unfulfilled worlds that don't really come into existence fully until they encounter ours or until someone notices them or, or something of that kind. And then there are all kinds of other interpretations as well. So I think when we're dealing with the issue of time travel, our interpretation would be as as some shamans have told me, particularly ones in Australia and Quebec, that you can, with your mind, uh, control to a certain extent certain world boundaries or what worlds you're in, what realities you're in, but it takes a lot of training. And, and as it is, when you look at it, we do move through many worlds each day anyway. Each, I suppose, fragment of a second, you, you might say in a simplistic way, is a world unto itself. Uh, and you move through these uh, at all points. It, it's it's when stranger ones that are not part of the family of worlds we're used to get in. I feel like we, we re- I feel like we really underestimate ourselves. Oh yeah, like yeah. We, like like vastly underestimate ourselves that we need to augment what we can already do with technology. Not that saying technology is bad. I mean, it has its place, yeah. but it seems as if being drunk with it and thinking, oh well. I can't do this without technology. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I need technology to make it so I can do this when you don't really need the technology at all. I, I tend to agree. Uh, now, now, what the guest was talking about, Terrence Aim, was that uh, one of the stories in his, his book, uh, Mysteries of the Multiverse, was uh, having to do with a, a Russian scientist and his team who have supposedly built a machine that allow you to travel back and forth in time. And, and, what, and what's that got to do with the multiverse? Well, the multiverse has many worlds that would be 1835 or would be 20,000 years from now. And as all times, as well as all places and people and versions of you, are represented in this multiverse. So to us, you could time travel simply by traveling through these worlds, and that might be how it's done. Some people say UFOs travel from distant planets by using the multiverse, that they find the world in which they're already orbiting Earth or something, and they just they can cross the boundary to go there. I mean, that that's all within the realm of a quantum possibility. But the question, I guess, that, that had to do with with um, shamanic time travel versus machine time travel, uh, the guest was uh, was saying that in machine time travel, you can bring back physical artifacts from these times. Whether you should is another idea. 
and the issue of the shamans is that he said that you can't. And I disagreed with him because my experience with shamans, they, they have, in some cases, brought back physical artifacts, including two people, supposedly. And again, this is something I heard, and I've said it a number of times on the air, I heard it 30 years ago, secondhand, from two shamans who had claimed to have witnessed it, it when they were young themselves, uh, a, a shaman of their acquaintance when they were little in their respective villages, and one in Australia, one in Quebec, this is an Aboriginal elder and a Cree native elder, had said that at the at the behest of the family of, of someone who had just died, in one case a young man, in another case a young boy, had asked and paid very heavily to have the shaman go into the other world where they had not died and bring them back to our world where they had. And the shamans kind of knew off the bat this was not a good idea, but they did it anyway, and all kinds of amazing things resulted. So let me talk about what greater physical artifact could you have than someone who has not died in one world and has died in another and bring them back. Uh, it did not work out in either case, I was told, uh, because the, the young man went crazy eventually and the the, uh, the child did not recognize some of his siblings who apparently did not exist in the world he came from and it got really, really weird. So there are reasons why I guess these worlds are separated and why there's a, only a certain amount of traffic that seems to be permitted between them. So anyway, we're going to take a break. Uh, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Margaret from Winsaka. I listen to Memory Lane every Sunday, 1 to 4 on WON 1240. Tune in to the Memory Lane Show. More music from the 50s and 60s. Okay, and we are back with our uh, impromptu open line show. Our guest couldn't make it tonight. And we're going through some emails and different questions. You know, but on this time travel thing, one thing that I didn't have a chance to bring up with our guest last night, our, our, we, we have a, our Sunday evening show on CBS Radio in the Pittsburgh, Boston, Seattle, and Detroit, and you can hear it on the Internet, too. And our guest was Terrence Aim, author of a book on multiverse uh, stories, things that, that could, weird things that have happened that he attributes to these parallel worlds crossing over each other. And it was, what about microbes? You know how I, I'm always... Uh, I'm always Dr. David Deutsch. Oh, now I remember his name. That just reminded me of an experiment okay. he did. All right, yeah. Um, From Oxford University, the physicist. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. It. I was trying to explain this to one of my friends last night who's an applied math major, and he was talking about multiversal physics and things like that. Okay. And I was trying to explain... Um, I was trying to explain like uh, Dr. David Deutsch's theory, but I couldn't remember his name. So now that I remember that, he actually he did an experiment with that. It was like microbes and light. I think it was dust particles and light that was sort of similar to probably what you're about to say. So continue with what you were going to say. Oh well, I don't know if it is similar, but I, I, what I was talking about, you're talking about bringing things back from the past or the future, or you know, there there may be. Well, you remember what happened supposedly when the Europeans arrived in America. All the First Nations, I like that term better than Native Americans, I like the Canadian term better. All the First Nations people, not all of them, but a number of tribes were uh, not, were wiped out or, 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 or at least severely decimated by microbes brought in from Europe to which our European ancestors had a, an, an immunity, but to which they did not. Smallpox. Well, yeah, that, that was another, yeah. The, the whole, when, the, when the pilgrims got here, the, the, in 1620, they founded this area of New England almost uh, devoid of people, and it had not been several generations before. And, of course, the Pilgrims were not the first ones to arrive in New England. There was a fishing uh, trading post in Maine. It had been for, for many years, and the Europeans had been here but had not stayed. The Pilgrims were the first ones who stayed, at least they're in Massachusetts. So in any case, uh, they're... They found the land pretty well unoccupied, almost, not entirely, but because of this, these diseases. Now, the question I always asked was, well, how come the Europeans didn't catch diseases from them to which they had no immunity? I never quite understood that. No, maybe they did. 
Well, maybe they did. They maybe just don't talk about it. Maybe maybe the, the nations just had first nations just had you know better lifestyles. I don't know, healthier people. But the same could be applied to other planets and to other times. Hmm. If you were to go back in time or go forward in time uh, to, to, to a distant past or a distant future, then you might bring back microbes unbeknownst to yourself because you obviously can't see them they're too small that might infect people uh, from our own time mm. I mean that's something that needs to be considered yeah and one does wonder now Terence Aim was saying well perhaps time travel has existed or has been experimented with long before this because a lot of odd diseases do seem to be cropping up I mean, when I was a kid, we ne- we used to go out and we were playing frolicking by the Connecticut River all the time. Never heard of Lyme disease or any of this sort of thing. Now it's like you don't go outside because Lyme. Yeah, it's like you, everybody's terrified to send their children out in their own yard for fear of Lyme disease. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's all sorts of weird diseases out there that are constantly changing thanks to penicillin and things like that. Well, that's true. They mutate because of antibiotics. So who knows what the explanation is, but. Uh, these are all things that need to be considered. I remember when the astronauts, well, you don't remember, I do. When the astronauts came back from the moon for the first few times, they were isolated in a special vessel. Uh, I don't know, I think in probably in Florida or wherever they, or wherever they were brought after being recovered. Uh, they were um, kept isolated because there was a fear that, uh, as unlikely as it might be, they didn't want to infect Earth's atmosphere with anything they might have brought back from the moon that might have been some sort of microbe or some kind of hostile bacteria or something like this. Hmm. So, uh, you know, that, that turned out not to be the case, uh, I, I guess. Although that's, uh, as far as we know, no diseases were, were transmitted or brought back. So these are all things yeah, you have exactly. to consider, even in, in the issue of time travel. Well, the thing is, like, if you, say if you travel back to the time of the dinosaurs, the atmosphere for us would be poisonous. And well, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. And now it's not thinking far enough ahead. <laughs> yeah. Ironically, it's not thinking <laughs> far right. enough to, far enough ahead to where you think about these things. It's like, oh, hey, let's take. It's like the magic school bus. It's like, hey, let's totally go back in time on a school trip. But then it's like, well, you come back, you bring all sorts of horrible diseases with you. Sure. And yeah. this may be a really weird example, but I remember. Uh, it wasn't even that long ago. I shouldn't even say I remember. It was like a few years ago. There was this uh, video game that was based off Jurassic Park, but it was like a zoo tycoon type of thing. And it was really obnoxious and horribly made, but it was very funny. And I, one thing I do remember from it was all these really weird diseases that they had that didn't exist in the time of the dinosaurs that were like killing off all these dinosaurs. So you'd always lose, basically. There was no way to win. But the whole point was that they didn't think ahead of time. No. They, they weren't thinking that, oh, hey, these t- triceratops can get dysentery or, like, all these other things, and it's like t- people don't think ahead in that in that manner. Well, there are three things that come to mind. The money. How, money. how, would, they, how would they pay for such a huge, vast machine? Well, I, no, actually, that was not, not what I was thinking of. Oh, sorry. The, the shaman, when the shaman travels... Two different times in different worlds. Does he or she bring back? I mean, you know more about you, you, you're you're a shaman in training for Pete's sake. You know more about it than I do. Is that that does not seem to be a problem? Not that I know of. No. Okay, and it, it does seem to be a physical experience. I mean, if the guy's pulling people who are dead here and not dead there, and pulling them back into this world. That's a pretty physical thing. Well, the way it seems, anytime you force something. Horrible, horrible things happen as a hmm. consequence. I mean, people use psychedelics to induce spiritual experiences, but that's like um, trying to light a building on fire with a nuclear bomb or trying to open a door with a grenade. <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's ludicrous. I mean, if you think of it in that way, it's crazy. But people don't think of it like that. That your sled quote from you sledgehammer approach to the paranormal or time travel or science is inadequate and therefore unnecessary mm. because we can already do this stuff already if you really take the time into it. But being good wholesome Westerners, we like having instant gratification, so we don't take the time to learn these things. So you need a machine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, you want to learn everything? 
Internet. That brings up something I don't want to bring up right now because I don't know. Well, in any case, uh, another thing that, that the time travel thing makes me think of and, and this whole issue of, of microbes or whatever is just what you said, the toxicity of the atmosphere in the remote past. If um, and, and this came up on the show the other night, the, the, the Paluxy River fossils and the various fossils, the one from Kentucky he mentioned, mm. uh, where uh, there's, there's a, a fossilized footprint of a human... Not only a human foot, but a human shoe. Apparently, stepping, size thirteen leather. Yeah, size thirteen leather. You can even see the the, the strips in the leather stepping on a trilobite because at that time that area was under uh, was uh, was a seashore, all right. And and uh, I mean, what the heck is this? I mean, those things lived from five hundred million to about one hundred and fifty million years ago. So what's going on here? So if this was a time traveler, I hope the poor schmuck had some kind of spacesuit on or something because the, the the air would have wouldn't been be toxic. Able to, be. Never mind any microbes. Yeah, exactly. Would have eaten them alive. So this this is another question: How long did these people last? And then in the Paluxy Riverbed fossils that I've seen with my own eyes, you've got a, you've dinosaur footprints with human footprints side by no no shoes this time. Human footprints side by side. I mean, what's all what's all this about? How did that happen? Well, if we're having trouble now trying to comprehend something like global warming, where we realize where we're now just starting to realize the climate doesn't stay static, imagine how it would be in oh, a few hundred years if someone travels into the future. Like, imagine how different everything would be. Well, we know the climate's not static. We just think people just don't make the connections because it's not politically correct. I don't know. <laughs> It's anyway. politically correct to know about... Everything is political correctness enters into everything. You know? Exactly, yeah. which is... No, no, what we're saying, and we don't get into politics in this show, but the, the climate of the planet is never static. It's always changing. The sunspots, you know, the, the, the wobble of, of the Earth, its rotation, the whole business, uh, the movement of, of the poles, that happens. Uh, and whether, and I'm sure that we have done the climate absolutely no good. No, no, But whether we're entirely responsible for this ridiculously warm spring we've well, had. I don't know. Well, Mother Nature prevails, no matter what. Mother Nature, there's always some way to balance things out. Indeed. And it might not be gentle, but it does happen. Anyway, so the point being that uh, the climates in the remote past and the remote future are probably very, very different. So there there we are, and, and I hope the, the guy who was in bare feet, I don't know. Uh, you know, because the question is, you know, were there people at that time? That obviously doesn't seem to be likely. The Flintstones. Right. There is evidence that we have gone, as we say, from, I suppose, stone tools to power tools at least four different times. Many of the ancient cultures in the world maintained that in, as part of their folklore. Mm-hmm. And that uh, natural disasters or wars or something has almost wiped out the human race several times. Um, there so is honestly, some evidence we, we for that. really haven't changed that much. As a no, unfortunately not. We we seem to we like to think that we've changed, but we don't. But the question is, you know, that goes back. The human race is maybe two million years old. You know, what was going on during all that empty time? But when we're dealing with 150 million years, as in the case of some of these fossils, well, how did that happen? How did they get there? Were they aliens? I mean, what? And I, I always think of another multiverse thing where people have been known to disappear literally in front of the eyes of others at times, and have never been seen again. Where did they go? Mm. I mean, were they transported back to that sort of thing? Uh, and then one thing that came up, too, uh, last night in this discussion was was what I guess it's generally known as the grandfather paradox. In other words, if you go back in time and shoot your own grandfather, how can you be born, and therefore how can you go back in time and shoot your own grandfather? Well, in multiverse theory, that that's not how it works. When you... The world in which you were born is one stream of time and space, and you go back into another, and you shoot your grandfather. It makes absolutely no difference. You, what you do is you create another, literally another universe and another time stream in which the guy never existed and in which you won't be born. But you're not only born in the one you have been born in, but in billions of others in which this didn't happen. That's how it works in quantum mechanics. Uh, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll smile and nod. All right. <laughs> But uh, Terrence seems to think that there's sort of a mixture of those two. Anyway, uh, who knows about this, but I think these are things that need to be considered. If any of you out there are considering a, 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 a trip to getting uh, your DeLorean, or, yeah, yeah, getting in your DeLorean and driving 80 yeah, miles per hour. Or going to visit, or, or as he said last night, going to, to visit the Eloy 800,000 years in the future, as in the H.G. Wells story, Time, time Machine. Yeah. Anyway, Good luck. That was a cute comment. There is uh, there, there are, of course... Um, um, 
many other considerations, but we'll 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 leave that for our next our next show with Terrence. Saying maybe, we'll, uh, maybe why don't we do it on this station? Sure. What I think that's uh, you're in tar- you're in charge of scheduling. So. All right. Okay. All right. Now here's another another one. This is this has to do with YouTube, and it's from Billy J in Rentham, Massachusetts, right now, local listening area. All right. So Billy writes to us. Hi, Paul and Ben. Uh, your show is great. I remember during your show with Lindsay Moulton Howe on those uh, sounds uh, being heard around the world that there were copycat videos about it on YouTube. I see a lot of weird videos on there, and I wonder if there's any way to tell the difference between the real and the fake ones. Any suggestions? That's a good question. It is a good, it is a good question, and I am not a sound expert, so I don't know. Well, you're close to it than I am, but... Well, I, I did have... I always usually, say... There's usually... There are some telltale signs... Usually, if the sounds are identical to something else in a different video, yeah, and um, it's really hard to find other accounts of it on YouTube. YouTube is a very sketchy thing. It's very much like Wikipedia, where anybody can put anything up and claim that it's true. Yeah. Huh. So you really have to be very wary of where this comes from. Sorry for the rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but well, you really have to just look at it and. I don't want to say guess, but take an educated stance on it and say, well, could this be this? Could this be that? Could this be somebody making a noise with their computer or something like that? Well, a little background first. Uh, for those of you who did not hear our show on this, uh, Linda Moulton, of course, a, a uh, renowned science journalist, very dear friend of ours on our show frequently. She's also on Coast to Coast uh, AM with George Nury very frequently. And she is um, has uh, kind of made a study. And one of the subjects we were talking about with her last time she was on with us was the issue of these sounds that are being heard all over, supposedly being heard all over the world. Some of them sound metallic. And, of course, uh, certain people have jumped on this and said, aha, the trumpet of Gabriel signaling the end of the world. There have been uh, other sounds that sound more uh, like booming or like artillery fire. I myself grew up in central Connecticut, not far from the uh, moodist noises, as they were called, well-known to the natives and well-known to other people uh, as uh, sounds in that area. And that that has been pretty much judged to have been seismic in nature now, having to do with the movement of a number of uh, very small faults. New England, believe it or not, is full of earthquake faults. It's just we haven't had a major, we haven't had a big one since uh, the early 19th century. And uh, when we next have a big one, it probably will not be a pleasant experience. But in any case, there are these faults, and these sounds were attributed to that. Uh, also, there are um, okay, only 10 minutes. I was going to give our, I didn't give our phone numbers. I'm always doing that, or not doing that. Anyway, it's okay. well... It's okay. There's right. always next time. There's always next time. All right. So in any case, uh, th- there are a number of YouTube videos with these sounds on them. One of the first, I think, came from so- South or Central America, and it's uh, very uh, rather spooky and creepy. And then a number of these sounds, as it come, came up on this show that we were doing with Linda Moulton, how uh, she believes, and other other experts believed, were were copycats. I know the same sounds were taken and put in a different locale. So that, I'd say look for that, as Ben suggests, if the sounds are the same. Also, from a photographic standpoint, I, or from even from a standpoint of drama, if they seem to be hamming it up, sometimes there are people in these films... Uh, there's one where where it was at a radio station like this one, only it was in Texas, and people were, were saying, aha, do you hear that? Come on outside and hear this sound, and they took all the stuff outside, and you could hear it, and they're running around the parking lot uh, going all uh, goofy. What is that? What is that? And, I mean, if they ham it up, I don't know, I might have some doubts about the legitimacy of this thing. Yeah, they um, could be delirious. I suppose. So I would just say, use your good judgment. Obviously, photo- photographically, there are ways to tell if things have been faked, but this is this is a more of a sound thing. Uh, photographically, you have all sorts of um, Godzilla-like monsters attacking villages and jumping out of the water, and obviously these are faked. Uh, the trouble is that uh, with uh, the Photoshopping and the editing, video editing software you have today, you can put anything in a film and somebody's going to believe it. So it has really, um, I suppose, affected in a negative way the validity of photography as evidence, which is why when we, if we're ever on cases and I take photographs, which we do frequently, I don't accept any that I have not taken myself or that Ben hasn't taken because we know they're not fake. So in any case, uh, that's probably about the best uh, answer we can uh, we can give you on that, uh, Billy, and uh, just say, yeah, just keep a, keep an open mind, but also keep a skeptical mind as well. 
Indeed. Indeed. So, okay, I'm looking for one that's... A little fun fact while you're looking for your next email Mm. is um, the Godzilla noise. You know how they actually made that? No. They put, like, a wet cloth on a bow for a cello and just wiped it on the cello, and that's how they came up with that crazy noise. (laughs) Really? Yep. Well, there was another one that um, uh, Spielberg used to come up with the sound for Chewbacca. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah the, uh, uh, the sea lion uh, figured prominently in the scenario, I believe. You know how they create the Nazgul sound? Paper and paper cups. In in Lord of the Rings? Yes. Interesting. I don't know how they did that, but I believe they it's did amazing it. what you can do with a paper cup. Indeed. All right. Okay. Well, all of these are, are very, very much uh, too long to begin now, so I think we're going to have to leave these for another day. Uh, I will perhaps... Um, and, well, I think we can perhaps uh, give a bit of a, one of the news stories here. Because we never actually have time to do it. Yeah, it's supposed to be paranormal news. So now I, I think we actually have perfect timing. Yeah, okay. Well, we've ten, well, here's uh, here's one here. This is uh, a contactee, UFO contactee, who claims uh, he was transported to Saturn. Aha, here's, here's our connection with those, those creatures that live in the atmosphere of gas planets. Saturn. All right, uh, Mark, whose name I can't pronounce, writes, I wish to, this, this is from our friend Lon Strickler, by the way, and his excellent site, Monsters and uh, phantomsandmonsters.com. I wish to report uh, when my uncle was in the Navy and we were visiting him in Norfolk, Virginia, something happened to me in 1964 when I was seven years old. It might have occurred when, uh, where we lived in Dixon City, Pennsylvania at the time, and I still live there. Without any hypnotism, the following story uh, thing uh, items are crystal clear. I remember seeing a flying saucer that was in a grove, then the next thing I remember was a military man saying uh, for me to look out the window at Saturn's rings. Now that's interesting. What kind of military? The planet was huge. I would say about 18 inches in diameter looking out the window with a saucer. I guess that's pretty big. The saucer looked close to the, uh, to the Lazar saucer sport model. Uh, Lazar, what's his first name? Kenneth Tony? Lazar. Tony? No, no, no. He claims to have worked at Area 51. Frankly, I think he's in the pay of the government to send uh, send out false information. But anyway, he claims yeah, he worked he, at Area 51. He claims he worked there. He wouldn't be saying Bob anything. Lazar. Bob Lazar. Yeah, he, yeah. he wouldn't be saying anything. Yeah. He refused to come on this show, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in any case, uh, he uh, claims to have worked at Area 51 in Nevada, where I was chased across the desert on one occasion. And he was working on alien craft to, to back engineer them, try and find out how they worked and all this business. Well, know, this is this is a, apparently a memory from some kid when he was seven years old. I, mean, I don't know if you want to put much stock in that. But again, these things happen. We've had the contactees on our show a number of times. Yeah, we've we, we heard some, some pretty crazy stories on, on this show. We have, we have. And uh, we just got an interesting book. We're going to have this uh, young lady on, Diane Zeman. Uh, the book is called No Earthly Idea. We just found it in our, our uh, mail bin here at the station. And her case was very interesting. Uh, she believed it was a, she contacted us because she believed it was a multiverse kind of a thing. A creature on their California property, among many other things, a creature running at amazing speeds that they actually got some photographic evidence of and uh, kind of reminded me of the road runner or the or the um, Wiley the Coyote or something. Yeah, he's ordering yeah. stuff from But Acme. you remember that case we were talking with? Yeah. I do remember. Yes, yeah. it, it's coming back to me now. It's, yeah, it's, uh, matter of fact, I said Ben did a lot for her in their, their long conversation on that. So uh, anyway, we will be uh, scheduling her and we'll talk about that weird creature. A lot of weird creatures out there in the multiverse. So Indeed. All right, so how much time we got? Uh, we have about four minutes. Okay. Well, why don't we take a leisurely trip through our, our announcements here then. And, again, we apologize. Uh, Gary Osborne was supposed to be our guest tonight, but yeah, he, we will reschedule him soon. We're going to give him about two weeks to get better. And, again, it is uh, 11 o'clock uh, in England uh, when our show comes on here at 6, and we end up uh, having to figure that into our uh, our uh, scenarios with our, our British guests, our guests from Europe. Okay. Uh, oh, we have a caller. Okay. A few minutes. All right. Good evening, guys. Uh, okay. Yes. Hi, you're on Behind the Paranormal. Hey, good evening, guys. This good evening. Is, this is Bob from Cumberland. Hello, Bob. Uh, hey, listen, I have a, just a little quick, you know, we're talking about uh, different dimensions and stuff. Um, here's an interesting, under the uh, heading Time Slip, uh, a fellow by the name of Rudolf Fenz Sr., that's F-E-N-Z, Sr., went out for his usual constitutional back in 1876, went out for his walk, 
and was never seen again. Well, 74 years later, in June 1950, in the middle of busy Fifth Avenue Manhattan traffic, he appears out of nowhere and gets hit and killed by an automobile. Really? And uh, the driver swore the man literally appeared out of nowhere and he had no chance to stop from hitting him. But here's the thing. They've got physical evidence in New York City Police Department has physical evidence because here's the corpse was dressed immaculately and his clothes looked new but almost a century out of date. According to police records, he wore a black coat, a wide-rimmed hat, trousers, and odd shoes that fashioned in the archaic 19th century style with oversized buckles. Hmm. Coins long out of general circulation were found in his pockets, some retaining the mint luster. In his billfold, there was U.S. banknotes with dates preceding the 1870s. And finally, in his wallet, there was a crisp calling cards with his name engraved on it, Rudolph Fenz Sr. Well, thank you very much, Bob. We're going to check that out. I've heard of many cases like that, but that particular one has escaped me. We're almost out of time, but thanks for the call. We're going to check that out. We should Great. do a show on that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, disappearing guys. <laughs> I love okay. your show, guys. Keep it up. All right. Thanks a lot, thank Bob. Okay. So many thanks to those who attended our program in Montpelier, Vermont on May 5th and donated to the Cure Search Cancer Walk for Children in honor of Team Libby and our little cousin, childhood cancer survivor Libby Coolis. Uh, you helped put Team Libby over the top in donations. Thank you. All right, to find out more about Libby and how you can help in the What's New section at www.behindtheparanormal.com. Uh, this Thursday, May 17th, Ben and I will be presenting at the Nature's Store, 151 Chase Road in Portsmouth, Rhode Island, from 5 to 7 p.m. It's a great place. Fossils, rocks, crystals, and us on that particular day. And um, www.nature's dash online.com so come check us out if you can so we'll also be appearing in Torrington, Connecticut on July 19th in Suffolk, England on September 22nd so watch for more info on those events and uh, we remind you you can get all my books on Barnes & Noble Kindle and Amazon uh, Amazon Kindle and Barnes & Noble Nook and check us all out on BehindTheParanormal.com don't know why I have to thank myself here well that's true I will do so (laughs) thank you Ben our uh, outstanding producer tonight And we'll see you on next Monday, May 21st, when uh, we will welcome author Mac Maloney for a look at UFOs over the battlefield. So on uh, the CBS edition on Sunday, May 20th, in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, we will be on www.newsguyradio.com as well. We'll be back into the Renaissance UFO case with two former Air Force witnesses who have not been heard from, uh, Monroe Nevels and Lori Rayfeldt. Okay, and we're out of time, so we'll we'll save the quote for next week. Well, we can stretch it a little bit if you really want to. All right. Anyway, this is from Albert Einstein, the dear old guy. My religion consists of a humble admiration of the illimitable superior spirit who reveals himself in the slight details we are able to perceive with our frail and feeble minds, unquote. All right. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.